0: What's up guys? This is Rob Pearsall and I am back. I want to thank Eric Ames very much for covering for me last week. I was a little bit under the weather, but I'm feeling great now and I'm ready to talk about the Mets and I am very happy to be here with my good buddy and my co-host, Alex Corrigliano michelli Alex, how are you doing, buddy? How's everything?
1: Welcome back, Rob. Uh baby back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels feels natural. It feels natural.
0: Yeah. We can banter. We can joke about how my microphone's name is Michael Rafone. No relation. <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> oh, Rob. Eric is somewhere right now just absolutely eye rolling.
1: He's just editing really this out. Just completely editing it out. Keep this in, Eric. Keep Eric, in if you don't boy. keep this
0: in, if you don't keep this in, I'll be very upset. But Alex, how are you? I know I asked that already, but how was last week? I listened to the podcast you and Eric did a great job. You guys both have really good banter and I missed being there with you. I had a little bit of FOMO, if I'm being honest.
1: Oh, you had FOMO, Rob? I love to hear that. Yeah,
0: a little bit. Yeah. I always fear missing out. It's a scary thing.
1: <laughs> oh, well, to answer your question finally, I'm doing well. Doing well. Cool. I had a I had a good day today. You know, sometimes you know, the the stresses of life could just be so much sometimes. But today, today was a good day. And I had my acupuncture and my chiropractor as usual. Not as many cracks today. Not, not as many cracks. But, is that a
0: good thing when it comes to going to the chiropractor? Like, is he looking for more cracks or is less cracks considered better?
1: I don't know. Uh, any chiropractors listening right now, Uh, turn off the audio for what I'm about to say but I I don't know. It's kind of a fake science I feel like. I don't know. I don't know how like real it is. Like am I really getting realigned or are you just cracking me in a better way than I usually crack myself.
0: You crack me up. I'll tell you that. (laughs) 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 Oh Rob.
1: Robbie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So since we saw you guys last Jeff McNeil Extended with the Mets, which I was very pleased about because McNeil is such a pleasure to watch. He's such a treat. And for the deal that he ended up signing four years, 50 million, and I believe there's an option for a fifth year you really can't beat that with a stick. I mean, that is just – I'm very, very happy to have McNeil back. He is one of my favorite guys to watch, both in the field and at the dish. And it was so good to see him lock back in in 2022 after a rough 2021 season. And you can just see how much happier he was, you know, how much – he was in just better spirits and – I don't know. He just – that's the kind of guy that McNeil is. That's the kind of hitter that he was. And I think recency bias sometimes is very quick – for people to forget how good a player can be. McNeil had a bad 2021, but you have to look at everything beyond that. And batting average, I think, is a very whimsical, not whimsical, uh, flimsy statistic, because it doesn't really tell the whole story. But going into last season, McNeil was a 300 career hitter. And I just don't think you should give up on a guy like that, especially with all the versatility he brings to the table. But uh, yeah, I'm really pleased about the about the extension. What are your thoughts on it, Alex?
1: Oh, I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled. I love McNeil. I did not think he was going to get, uh, you know, four years, 50 million. I mean, sh- Nike's that's a, it's a, that's a good deal. Uh, I mean, I definitely wasn't thinking he'd sign some like mega deal. Like at the end of the day, um, his skill isn't as Valuable, I guess, to a lot of these front offices. So it seemed like right around what I thought he'd get, something in the range of like a, um, gosh, dang it, who's who's that homeboy who was a Ray and then he was on the 2016 Cubs, uh, versatile fielder. I always compare him to Jeff. Uh, Ben Zobrist. Zobrist, my Zobrist. Ben Zobrist. Yeah, I think his contract that he signed with the Cubs was like three years, thirty-six or something like that, or maybe four for sixty. Yeah, we have. The remember, remember, out. he
0: was going to be a Met. He like, oh like after God. the 2015 World Series with the Royals, it seemed like he was going to be a Met, and then he spurned them, and he went to the Cubs, and he ended up winning a World Series with the Cubs.
1: Oh, so, God, I was so, such a huge fan of. Yeah, he sent four years, fifty-six million.
0: Okay, yeah. So, so he, he got that's he's like yeah,
1: he's pretty my much right around guy. what
0: McNeil got. Yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. I, I like that comparison. Yeah, I thought McNeil Fielder, was I thought McNeil was going to get – and sorry to cut you off. No, my bad. um, I thought McNeil was going to get maybe somewhere in the 60, 65 million range just because I normally expect the Mets aren't going to pull off like a Braves-type heist, but they did pull off kind of a Brave-type. Not that this was a heist, but – They did pull off kind of like a team friendly deal that I think benefits both sides. So the only thing is McNeil doesn't have to McNeil just doesn't have to donate to the Mets Foundation. So (laughs) that's the only other thing. But
1: uh Yeah, Ben Zobers I like a lot.
0: Yes, you uh, never know.
1: Jeff is I mean, yeah, he's like a friendly guy. I think one of the most endearing things about him is that story with when the Mets did bark at the park, and he literally like fell in love with one of the dogs that North Shore was featuring that day, and adopted it. And I think that was his first dog, and he loves it. Now he has three dogs with his, you know, with his beautiful, lovely wife, yeah. and now he's a Met. And I mean, even even more than the fact that it's probably it probably saves salary, you know, like it seems like such a team friendly deal. But even more than that. I mean that's just a good sign because when was the last time that we saw uh, an extension like this before a player hit free agency for the Mets? The
0: last one that I can think of is Juan Lagarus. Juan Lagarus. That Ligaris. was the last one that I could think about, and that was like ten years ago now, probably.
1: Yeah, and that was a modest contract, and it didn't even really pan out. And you know, we knew he was like what he was bringing to the table, and he got hurt all the time, and that was a shame because Juan Lagarus was awesome to watch, but having someone who I think you could legitimately legitimately call part of the Mets's like core four is cuz we don't really have any like pitchers there or even like core 5 if you include Diaz. He's but the position core four having him sign and then now that Lindor and Nimmo are already signed through their free agent contracts like a it's you know it shows that we're going to have some stability going forward. You know, we don't have to just sign free agents all the time. Uh, Bean will get to it later what this could mean for a possible Alonzo extension because he'd be the other guy in that in that core that's not signed. But it shows that there's a future for some of these other, you know, Mets athletes. You know, maybe if, if um, you know, Beatty or Francisco Alvarez or, you know, someone else who might surprise us Kind of like starts off pretty nicely. Give them like a team friendly, like seven year deal or something that buys out arbitration and like an extra two seasons or something, you know, like that's something that could feasibly be on the table.
0: Yeah. And before we go into the because you and I wanted to talk about what this could mean for Pete Alonso now. Yeah. I wanted to just briefly talk about Juan Lagares because we brought that up, and I loved Juan Lagares. I recently purchased a Juan Lagares bobblehead on eBay. That was oh, a very solid purchase. I was very happy about that. It's cool, because they actually, it's him, like, robbing a home run, and the wall is, like, on the bobblehead. Oh, that's so, But I think a lot of fans, maybe that are a little bit younger than us, don't recognize how exciting Juan Ligaris was as a Met, especially defensively, because it was so quick. Like It was such a flash in the pan that he was as good as he was because he was hurt so much. But I think a lot about that 2013 season where – apart from a couple things like Matt Harvey's dominance that year and the All-Star game taking place at Citi Field, Juan Ligaris really was one of the few bright spots of that 2013 team, and he was just so good as a fielder, which led to the Mets. I don't know if it was that season. I would have to look. It was around that year, though, but that led to the Mets giving him that team-friendly deal, and I liked that deal even though though it didn't really pan out. I liked that they – gave a player a deal that had the possibility to be team-friendly. And I'm not really going to give the Wilpons too much credit because they were probably just like trying to be cheap and hoping that they would catch lightning in a bottle. But I think that now, with a more competent ownership, or you hope that they're going to be a more competent ownership, those are the kind of deals that you really like to see them make. But yes, you and I wanted to talk a little bit about Pete Alonso because I think now the focus really shifts to him where he's the last guy that they really need to lock up for the foreseeable future because you look at their rotation and they have they just signed Kodai Sanga, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer who are kind of at the tail ends of their careers, Carlos Carrasco they signed uh, for this season And some of the younger guys – I mean, I think that maybe you look at someone like David Peterson, if he has a good year, maybe you look into exploring a team-friendly deal for him. Mm -hmm. But overall, like you said – Francisco Lindor is locked up for the foreseeable future. Brandon Nimmo is back. Now Jeff McNeil is back. And if you want to talk about that quote-unquote core four, Alonzo is really the last guy remaining that needs to be extended. And him and McNeil are such good buddies. I don't know if you saw McNeil was saying that Alonzo was the first person that he reached out to because Alonzo didn't know that McNeil and the team were discussing a contract so it was a big surprise to him they're good buddies they came up through the minors around the same time so i thought that was really heartwarming um That's and great. also i really loved mcneil talking about how like new york is his home he was just like he loves playing here and he's really stoked to get that deal done but um oh yeah because i'm Ale- so
1: tired of seeing people badmouth new york too you know like um de left and so much of the story around it was how oh you got to get out of new york and then you go on twitter and sometimes twitter's such a hellhole but you have people you know bashing on new york or oh it's a liberal cesspool and it's just good to see someone be like yeah i like new york i have my family here we're settled i want to stay here
0: yeah and and mcneil's a guy too who I think has really developed into a fan favorite. He's a guy that it's very easy to rally behind. So that was really great. But you and I wanted to talk a little bit about what a Pete Alonzo extension could look like. And I know that you were talking about before the podcast, how Tim Britton had released some projections and he's been pretty accurate so far, but what was he saying about Alonzo in regards to possibly signing an extension?
1: Yeah. So we said a lot there, um, It's incomplete, and I'd like to see what he'd have to say about the recent free agent class because he was pretty dead on with some of these projections. But this last article is from March 2022, so it was before his very, very, very good 2022 season, and Tim Britton's still on paternity leave. So we'll see if there's any follow-up on this. I'd love to see what he has to say. But he projected Alonzo at that time for... An eight-year $160 million contract extension. And he 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 does it in a way where he writes out all of his reasoning. He uses historical uh, examples to to compare him to other like free agent sluggers who hit the market, who hit free agency, others who were extended, what their average AAVs are, and then obviously having to compare it with other you know, other first baseman. So the most recent example at that time was on the, what's my homie? How do how do I always do this? My brain, you know, it's the end of the day. Who, the guy who are you the, thinking of? <laughs> the guy in the Braves. Uh, Matt Olson? Yeah, Matt Olson, right? So that was a comparison because that was uh, an extension that had just happened. And so I compare it to him. We were talking before about like, you know, comparing him to other first basemen, right? What's the you had the high end Freddie Freeman, who's a perennial MVP candidate who is an MVP winner. Interesting that we've had two first baseman MVPs in recent years. Cause you we who's just had Paul Goldschmidt.
0: One? Oh, Goldschmidt, yeah. He had a great year for the cards. In
1: an awesome year. And he hits the high average. Like usually voters tend to overlook first baseman, and this is a bit of a Going off topic a little bit, but not really, because some fans, I don't want to say casuals, but some fans might look at Pete Alonso and say, "Well, obviously, obviously, he has to get like a huge contract because he's our best hitter. He hits home runs. He's really valuable, and they want to throw out some of these like other other stats, like WAR and everything, because you know your eyes see the home runs and the RBIs, and that's what we used to value super closely. But first. Base is not a high demand position. You know, a lot of people, right? They look at corner outfielders, and if they're or a, a catcher or someone, anyone on the base pads, and if their glove is declining, you stick them at first base, right? I mean, you could still be like atrocious to look at at first. We all know that Keith Hernandez will always talk about someone's bad form, and he seems to criticize Pete a lot. So that's a really valuable thing. So most first baseman kind of get valued a little lower because it's not as hard defensively, but the first baseman that do stand out, like if they're winning an MVP season, they usually also stand out with their gloves. Like they're usually pretty good defensively. Paul Goldschmidt is known as being really good defensively and for hitting high average. You had the same for uh, Freddie Freeman when he won back in the day. And then I guess you could compare it to Miguel Cabrera, who's a Hall of Famer. So you, you pretty much have to be like a Hall of Fame level or near Hall of Fame level to be a first baseman who's winning MVPs. And that's important when thinking about these super high value contracts. So you, which kind of helps us because we're talking about these high-ass payrolls. And Pete Alonso, you could probably project that the, around $20 million a year range. Part of Tim Britton's reasoning too with this, um, with the extension talk is the fact that it buys out arbitration years and you know, what these players usually make around. So like, it's like, this dirt cheap when the youngest was like 7 million and then escalates to like 10 million. And then in the last year of arbitration, I can imagine Pete making like, you know, 15, 18, 19 million. Who knows? Yeah. But, I think yeah. that,
0: I, I think that, that that's a good thing. And, and I was looking at, we were talking about Olson because Olsen just signed with the Braves before last, before this past season in 2022.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: He's signed, and him, him, and Alonzo are the same age too. So he's signed, uh, he's signed through twenty twenty nine for eight years, one hundred sixty eight million, and he has a twenty thirty team option. So, but you look at someone like Matt Olson, and I, I know that there is going to be some people listening that don't like to hear this, but I would say that Matt Olson is a guy that. Probably deserves a higher contract than Alonzo because he's a better fielder than Alonzo. Alonzo, for his career, if you look at like defensive runs saved, is pretty much just kind of average. Like he has one, a uh, negative one defensive run saved in his MLB career. And he had a good 2021 season where he had five defensive runs saved, but then that dipped again this year to negative two this past year. And he has negative 18 outs above average, according to StatCast. So Alonso is not doing anything in the field. This is not news. I think if you watch Pete and if you are familiar with the team, you know that defense is not where his strong suit is. It's his bat, which really makes – I mean – I know Alonzo wants to play first base, but really it's like he should just be a designated hitter. But I mean, you can live with him in the field. He's not going to kill you. He's just not great. Um, Olsen beats him fielding every day of the week. He's a better fielder. But if And another big thing with Alonzo for me that I worry about is uh, his ISO, his isolated power, has gone down every single year. Since he's been in the majors. So that's something that's kind of concerning to me. Um, Really? So, yeah, he, I mean, his ISO was 323 in 2019 and it's almost a hundred points less now in 2022. It was 246 this past year.
1: Rob, uh, what what exactly, how do they measure isolated power? Are you able to explain um, that off uh, without like uh, warming up?
0: So. Uh, the way that Fangraphs has it is um, like it's kind of like isolated slugging and batting average. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that someone that's a little bit more savvy in that thing could probably tell you a little bit more in depth. But it's something that I like to look at because um, it's just one of those like Fangraph stats that I see thrown around a lot. So I take into consideration kind of like that along with WRC plus with Woba, with things like that. But um, Alonzo is someone who regardless of all that I mean he is a guy that he's your best power hitter hmm. if you're the Mets that's there's no secret to that um, he's not gonna light the world on fire he, you know he's with bat you know with his triple slash his batting average was 271 this past year which is a career high and I, that that kind of stuff doesn't really matter so much to me um, but at this point it's like you know what you're gonna get with Alonzo right like he's not gonna win an any MVP awards, probably, unless he has like a big shift in his game. He's not Freddie Freeman, but he is a good player, and I think that he's worthy of an extension because he's a good player, but also because he means a lot to the fan base. I think that he's someone that like McNeil, but even more so, is very easy to root for. He's a guy that, since he's come up, has endeared himself to the fans, has always talked to the media. He's really bought into having that captain-like presence. Whether he ever will be named captain kind of remains to be seen, but he's someone who I view as a captain-like player in the locker room. And And he's a guy that's marketable, so I think that he'll end up being extended. But I think that the annual value money-wise, I would rather give him less years with a higher ABV, uh, AAV, not, uh, not ABV, uh, (laughs) AAV, than like a a deal that Matt Olson got where he got eight years and X amount of money. Um, If the Mets are going to sign Alonzo, I kind of would rather it be for less years and a higher annual salary, but that's really just me. What do you think about that, Alex?
1: So if not, if not the eight years, 160 which he's 20 he's 27 right now so that would take him through 35 um i mean he's kind of your classic slugger you know uh the kind of sluggers that we grew up with so like maybe he's not hitting for super high average but he's kind of settled around you know hitting around 260 i think he'll probably continue to hit around 260 so like a 260 hitter and you know i'd love to i'd love to have um To talk more about like batting average because you know a lot of the experts want to not talk about batting average because it doesn't measure everything and on base percentage is probably the better stat to look at but I think batting average still matters in a way like a lower batter batting average doesn't count doesn't matter as much if you're hitting for like a lot of lot of power and getting on base a lot with walks but I think having a higher average still counts for something because you're you know you're getting hits and getting hits creates action you know so. I think he's settling around 260. And then, so I'm, I'm working on these projections right now and uh, looking at the core four Mets and looking at their current standing in Mets history in terms of like your classic stats with hits, um, home runs, runs, RBIs, et cetera, and then comparing them to David Wright, who pretty much leads in every single one of those categories, just to see like where they'll wind up towards the end of, this, end of their careers. So while looking at Pete Alonso, if he averages around he, his 162 um, average for home runs, is about 45 a 45 a year, and so if you average that to like 150 games played a season, I think is pretty reasonable as he gets older. Although maybe even more than that because he could always DH on like off days, but I could see him hitting 42 home runs a year. And that's I what mean that, since yeah
0: since since he's entered the league. He has more home runs than anybody, right? Yes. Like since he's debuted. It's he has 146 home runs since he's debuted.
1: Yeah, more also, than Aaron Alex, does.
0: I just wanted to tell you uh, what ISO is. Yes. I, I just looked up like a concise definition. So it's a measure of a hitter's raw power and tells you how often a player hits for extra bases. Um so it also measures the raw power of a hitter by taking only extra base hits and the type of extra base hit into account. So mm-hmm. that's what ISO is. So it really values like the doubles, the triples, the home runs. Tells kind of that story. yeah so that's well, what know, ISO is.
1: Okay, yeah, and I was, at, I was looking at it after you told me about that, and there is you know he in his first season when he hit 59 home run, 53 home runs as, as a rookie, he uh, where, I lost it. Yeah he had that ice, that ice, uh, 323 ISO. And then, you know, obviously it's dipped to, you know, 260, 257, 246. But, you know, th- there's, a, there's a deeper story behind those numbers, too. 2019, was, the ball was still juiced. And 2020 is a shorter sample size. It, I mean, it was weird season because sometimes the ball was juiced, sometimes it wasn't. Same with 2021. And then he hit 246 last year. So, you know, you could look at that as concerning, but I think that's still... Like if I look at compared to Matt Olson's, like you said, right? Matt Olson had an ISO of two thirty seven last season, um, so right around the same, a little bit higher. Uh, it's so hard to look at any of these stats now because these guys came up during the juice ball era. So like, who knows what to really believe? We need we need more of a sample size, but um, I think eight years wouldn't be terrible. Like a lot of these classic sluggers are still hitting like thirty five home runs into like their late thirties. I'm thinking like a Carlos Delgado specifically who hit 30 home runs, 10 years in a row. The guy should be a hall of famer. We'll talk about that another time. Carlos Delgado is amazing. Uh, so maybe, he's, maybe he's hitting 30 home runs when he's getting into his thirties and he's hitting 45 home runs every year right now. So I, I could see why you would say maybe six. So maybe like instead of eight years, 160, it could look like six years, you know, one twenty five or something.
0: So just because of the player that Alonzo is, and this is I'm thinking about like and you could be right. Um, I'm just kind of thinking of the kind of player that Alonzo is <clears throat> and for the fact that he's a marketable player. Mm-hmm. I think I could even see the deal maybe going to like six years, 140, 150 million.
1: I don't I don't would, what, yeah, what would that average?
0: That's so that's twenty five million annually if you're doing a hundred and fifty million. Um, yeah. but who knows? I mean, I personally would rather give him something that is closer to, like, $20 million a year. But I'm just thinking, like, I could see maybe it getting that high, like six years, uh, $150 million. But I'd say maybe, like, you're looking at between, like, six years, 130 to maybe six years, $140, with 150 being, like, the, the top end. And that would be a lot because if you look at someone like Freddie Freeman, he's making $27 million annually. And that's really, like, the cream of the crop there. And Alonzo, I'd say, is not on that same tier. So, I you know, six years, $125 million, definitely could see that. But also, <laughs> I could see the Mets giving him a long-term deal, too. I don't know. I could see them turning around and giving Alonzo an eight-year deal like Nemo got. I could also see that happening.
1: It's interesting to look at that eight years, 160, that Tim Britton projected uh, at the beginning of 2022, Uh, Because in that same article, he projected Brandon Nimmo, who had at that point never played more than like 130 games in a season, to get like six years, 95. So, I mean, he was definitely off because Brandon Nimmo got that eight years, $162 million contract. And he's a center fielder, you know, maybe only for the next like three seasons. And by the end of that, he'll be a, a corner outfielder. And hopefully like someone like Alex Ramirez will be in center. But Uh, so with Pete, it's like do do they get the same contract does he get more because he's probably a more popular player who gets the higher counting stats this exercise is really weird i kind of like the idea what you said of six years i I don't know i like I, i think i could see like six years 130 that'd be like 21 21 and a half a year or something like that i mean it depends right let's see what he does this year but i'd like to see i'd like to see them extended beforehand
0: so Alonzo just turned twenty-eight. Yeah, he's going to be twenty-eight for this whole season.
1: So he's in the meat of his prime.
0: Yeah. So if you give him a six-year deal, let's say, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen before this season starts, but let's say you give him a six-year deal and it buys out the final two years of his arbitration or whatever it is. Like I think him and McNeil. I'm trying to think if McNeil. Exceeded rookie limitations during his his inaugural season in twenty eighteen because he came up like kind of late. So let me see. Fan uh, baseball reference tells you that stuff. So
1: while you're looking that see. up, I wonder if Pete like because he hasn't really gotten sustained any like major injuries. He's been largely healthy. He played one hundred sixty one games last season, but like you know, sometimes you watch Pete running running around the bases or like dive for a ball, and like I mean, you look at him. Make those plays and polar bear really is the uh, the correct nickname for him because he looks like an uncoordinated polar bear out there sometimes, you know? Like he just, he'll just like <laughs> flop onto the floor sometimes when he's diving out of base and it looks so, so unmajestic. <laughs> it's just, Dude, he, he looks, looks like looks he's gonna fall
0: there. down too. Whenever yeah, he, he runs the bases, he looks like he's gonna fall.
1: He looks like he's like, like, like slipping in the shower sometimes. Like he's <laughs> running around the bases and he's like, whoop, 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 whoop. He's dude, I know it's crazy.
0: <laughs> so, um, baseball reference doesn't have. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing at that. <laughs> uh, baseball reference doesn't have McNeil's current contract updated, but he would have been a free agent after the 2024 season, mm-hmm. which I think. Alonzo would be a free agent after the 2025 season.
1: Yeah, I think that's correct. That's the case. Yeah.
0: So anyway, regardless, let's say that Alonzo signs a six year deal that would bring him through his age 34 season. Like he would be turning 34 or 35. I would do if I would like realistically, I would want to do a six year deal with like a seventh year option. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like what McNeil has that option in his deal. Something like that for Alonzo. That's something I would be comfortable with. Um, let's see. Actually, you know what? So he, well, he's making he 14 same, and a
1: half right now through arbitration. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to escalate because you have to keep that in mind too. So they'll like do that. And then he'd get like a higher base salary in the later years of that. And it just averages out to like 20 through 22, whatever they go for. So it'd be like probably a 14 and a half this season. If he has another like year like he had last year, it probably escalates to um, like eighteen million next year, Uh, or or probably like twenty million realistically. Probably eighteen. I I, I don't know. Arbitration's weird.
0: Yeah, I could see it maybe going up to like seventeen million. I don't think it'll up to twenty unless he has like a. If Wes, he has an MVP type season, I think that like maybe like seventeen, you know, 16, 17 is what you're looking
1: at. Yeah, because even but, like yeah. Otani, like in arbit in arbitration right now, he, what he sounded like the highest arbitration contract ever, and was like thirty million something like that. Mm-hmm. And that guy, that guy's worth fifty. You know, so that's just like yeah. how weird arbitration is. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. believe baseball didn't fight for like less arbitration years and just they they could have done so much for their for their players anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that they were just, like, trying to make sure that they got some stuff that they wanted, you know, because they wanted to have a season, too. Um, yeah. That whole thing was so frustrating last, last I mean, talk winter. About,
1: talk about that another time.
0: Yeah, we could talk about that till we're blue in the face. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm all for the Mets extending Alonzo. It'll be interesting. I think, like, looking at Matt Olsen's contract as, like, a framework would make sense, you know? Yeah. Like, something in that ballpark... I would be comfortable with, and even a little bit less, maybe because Olson truthfully is a more valuable player than Alonso is. And I know, like I said, I know Mets fans are not going to like hearing that, but it's true. He is a power hitter like Alonso, and he can play a better field. And so, I think that maybe you're looking at something similar in that ballpark. Like that's kind of what I would be looking at. When you're, I don't see, I don't don't see Pete holding
1: out. I don't see Pete holding out for. Like a record setting first baseman deal. Like, he's not, I don't think he's trying to uh, set the standard, you know? I think he's, he wants to, I think he's probably someone who wants to stay here. I mean, maybe there's a world where he wants to like go back to Florida or something because that's where he's from, but I really don't see that. I think he loves it here. I think he likes the idea of, uh, of being a super popular player. Um, he's, he's been the face of so many like rally cries for the Mets. And yeah. Yeah, I, I don't see him holding like he's not. It's not like Scott Boris is his is his agent, you know. So I could see him mm-hmm. signing like a pretty team friendly deal.
0: Just you watch too; it'll be like we'll get like a, a tweet like in the middle of next week. It'll be like Pete Alonso is now represented by super agent Scott Boris. <laughs> 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 it, it would just feel like
1: so I hated that.
0: Yeah, it would just. Be, it would just like because it's happened before. You know, it's just we've we've seen it happen before yeah um, anyway, I uh, just wanted to move on a little bit to thank you guys so much for voting in the Mets Legends dream team. Oh, it's been we've so had much such fun. a we've had such a good time. We've gotten a lot of really great reception. We actually just rounded out the pitching staff. I was very surprised to see Armando Benitez win, oh yeah, yesterday for the closing position I but I guess it doesn't make sense, but I think that's why I think that's why he won. It's because he was like, he was kind of hated and he is a guy who like fans are like, Oh yeah, Armando Benitez, you know? So that is kind of like a, le- like what a legend is to a degree, you know? Yeah. So let's go over what the, what the rotation's like. Okay, so, right? and, and I will say you can't please everybody. We've had some people that have been upset. A lot of people called for Rick Reed and obviously he wasn't an option for any of the pitching staff slots, but I just want to say, if you guys are listening, we will be doing a whole 40-man roster. So we will be taking into consideration some players that missed that we think should be on the 40-man roster. So just stay tuned for that. But Bartolo Colon is obviously the ace of the staff. And then it's John Main. We have Daisuke Matsuzaka, Chris Benson, and his wife, Anna, because that was a double vote, if you remember. And Mike Pelfrey rounding out the the starting rotation. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with that. I think that's a pretty good, like, legend rotation.
1: I mean, if you take all these guys in their peak seasons, um, with uh, I mean, like Dice K, yeah, I'll take him number three overall. D- John Mayne never gets injured. Probably the greatest pitcher of all time. So, yeah, yeah, arguably.
0: Arguably. Arguably, yeah. I, you know, I think most baseball fans would agree with that. He's right up there with, like, Koufax.
1: Yeah, everyone talks about him, I'm sure. It's not just us. Yeah. Household name. What could have been?
0: <laughs> uh, so then the rest of the the pitching staff, we elected Glendon Rush, who is a active Twitter participant. We love him, so he got the staff pick for one of the bullpen slots. Jason Isringhausen, we also elected. He's been really kind to us when interacting with us. But also we gave people the option if they wanted anyone else from Generation K and he still won. So he that was some fan involvement there. He did not get beat out by Paul Wilson or Bill Palsifer. We have Carlos Torres as the long reliever. Dyson Koo, who we originally did for the starting pitching voting, but we realized that he is a bullpen guy. So we put him in the bullpen, and then that's how we put Dice K in the rotation. He was a, a write-in from the fans. Uh, Turk Wendell, who I really had no doubt was going to win. That puka shell necklace is just outstanding. Uh, Rest in peace to Pedro Feliciano Mm. and he won the left. That was a close one, man, because that was him and Jerry Blevins and it was like I was following the voting and like it was like back and forth that it was like and, and Feliciano eventually tipped the scales but it was like it was like 46% then 45%. So they were flip-flopping pretty, pretty hard.
1: Yeah. Like, I I mean, I love Jerry Blevins. I'm a big fan of Jerry Blevins. I really, I really am. And so having him being involved with the Mets, the way he is, I mean, shit or bleep that out. But if they don't, if they don't agree with Keith Hernandez, Soon, who's still out there unsigned with SNY. I could see them bringing in Jerry Blevins full time. I feel like they're kind of grooming him for that right now. Uh, so, but I, I guess it still surprised me to, to see it come down to the wire like that because I just thought Pedro Feliciano was like so like so far away, like super beloved. But I guess that's just it's a lot. It's a lot of generations of Mets fans, you know. Like he's the one that yeah, really and, to us. Was
0: good. Yeah, Blevins was, Blevins was really
1: good. He's on that 2015 team.
0: Yeah, and, he, and even 2016, in 2015, he was hurt for most of the year. Yeah. But 2016 and, and 2017, he was such a reliable guy out of the bullpen. So you have a lot of newer fans that remember Jerry in a very fond manner, as we do as well. Yeah. But Pe- perpetual Pedro, man, I mean, especially, you know, the he's posthumous at this point. You know, we had a – I'm glad that he won because I really wanted to pay, you know, pay homage to him. Yeah. But – I I I would have to say I think that will probably include Jerry in the 40 man roster because he was that was such a close vote and more people voted in that than any other one. And originally we weren't even going to have Blevins on there because we, we had Scott Rice and then it was like a lot of people were calling for Blevins. So we made a we made a choice and I think that was a better choice anyway. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And then set up Aaron Heilman and closing Armando Benitez. Uh, also, I had talked about how, like, Aaron Heilman is not as bad as I think most people remember or want to believe. Like, if he pitched now, he would be a very coveted reliever, Aaron Heilman. Like, he was a really good pitcher. But I think people just remember him because he let up that home run to Yachty or Molina. But he was, he was really solid, honestly.
1: I mean, I, d- I definitely remember it being like a really big deal, how they were able to turn to him after Duana Sanchez went down because he really was our setup guy for like really the rest of the season.
0: He was. And and Duana Sanchez is another guy who was a lot of people were upset, got snubbed, but you know, it was just so hard because there's so many guys that we had out there as as choices. So, you know, it was hard narrowing narrowing it down. You're not going to please everybody, but I think overall, you look at it, and I think I'm pretty pleased with it. But I just want to talk about about Heilman first before we just talk about uh, the rest of the voting, and then we'll get to the next topic. But 2005, Heilman started seven games, but he mostly pitched out of the bullpen. 2.1 wins above replacement. He had. Uh, a 317 ERA, a 297 FIP, and a 336 XFIP. He had a 74% strand rate. He had a 0.5 home runs per nine innings, and he had uh, 8.83 strikeouts per nine he pitched 108 innings uh which was great and then in 06 he had 1.7 wins above replacement he pitched in 74 games he had a 362 era a 328 fip and a 408 a 403 X um and then even 07 he had a he had a decent season he had 0.9 wins above replacement so if you look at those three years like that's like, I'll take that any day of the week. If you get three solid years out of a relief pitcher like that with how volatile bullpen guys can be, Heilman was pretty good, man.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I'm looking at I'm looking at his postseason stats from, you know, that year too because obviously, right, he has the one inning where he gives up the three-run home run and ruined everything. But, but you know, he's, he pitched a total of seven, seven and a third innings in the postseason that year. He had a strikeout to, you know, seven strikeouts per nine innings. You know, it's not stellar, but it's like pretty solid, like a strikeout per appearance. He had six games total. So in five of those games, he I need to find a stat that takes out the uh, the runs that he gave up because he really only had a Where's the ERA here. He had a three point six eight ERA in the postseason that season. So that you know, they they average that that's runs average per nine innings. They he pitched seven innings, and in one of those appearances, they gave up the three run the three run bomb. So and that gave him his lone loss. So in the other five games, he probably he probably didn't give up any other runs in his other appearances. Also, it's like.
0: That postseason, we have to remember, like, there were other things that happened. Like, you can't, and and so many people are like, oh, Carlos Beltrán struck out, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the Mets collectively got cold that series. Like, they didn't have a good series, they were a better team than the Cardinals the whole year. They were, and the Cardinals really just snuck into the playoffs that year. They weren't a powerhouse team by any means. And you look at their team, yes, they had a lot of really good talent. They had a young Yadier Molina. They had Albert Pujols, you know, they had guys like that. But they were like an 87 win team that just snuck into the playoffs. The Mets were a powerhouse that year. That was like the best most dominant season I've seen as a Mets fan in my entire life. But the Mets collectively got colds that that series. They didn't play well. Jose Reyes had a really bad series. Like they were not good. Billy Wagner, I think, had some rough outings on the mound that se- that series. So
1: it wasn't just David one Wright thing. David Wright was cold the entire second half of the season after the All-Star break.
0: Yeah. So it's like there's, it's, there's never just one thing. Um, so, and listen, I did not like Heilman for years. I always was like Heilman's one of my least favorite Mets. But I think with time, people have kind of realized that he was kind of legit. So, you know, Heilman. I'm glad he got the vote there for the for the Mets Legends Dream Team voting. Obviously, I do we like the we're idea of on Mets Legends
1: bench. being like a platform for redemption for some of these for some of these you know classic Mets players.
0: Absolutely, man, and that's what it's all about too. Like you know, we everybody always talks about the stars, but there's so many other aspects to being a fan, right? There's guys that you rally behind that maybe aren't your household names. There's guys that you love to make fun of. There's instances that you love to reminisce that were painful or, you know, that you can now laugh at all these years later. Or, you know, you remember being like, Oh yeah, I remember when that happened. Like that's all what Mets legends is about. And so like, that's why it's been so fun with this dream team. Um, It's just seeing these guys come to life again, seeing what the, what the fans think about it too. Like what, what our readers, what our followers, how they remember these players, you know, that's what's, that's, what's cool. Mhm So we moved on to the bench tonight. We have we're going to do four different categories so we have utility infielder. Um, so that's Joe McEwing, Jordani Valdespian and Chris Woodward. and then we'll be doing backup catchers. We will be doing an outfielder, and we'll be doing pinch runners. so that'll be that'll be something that we are going to probably finish uh, maybe by the time this podcast comes out on Saturday uh, or Friday whenever it's done. And so, uh, yeah, and then we're going to do some coaches too, and then the forty man roster. So I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, it's been a really fun exercise and a great, <laughs> great time consumer uh, between you know for the off season.
0: Yeah, it has. I and I think it's like this is the part of the off season where all the free agents that are out there that are really big have found their homes, and you're kind of waiting for spring training. So it really felt like a like a perfect storm.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um. Yeah. So of a thing that I posed on Twitter the other day was um, what are some of the metziest moments of all time? Uh. And <laughs> I I just thought it was really, you know, it's not things that we've forgotten, you know, or things that are, that are, we're not reinventing the wheel here, but um, Luis Castillo dropping the ball is the example that, that I used. And I was thinking maybe we could just go over some of the, some of the things that, other people had to say in regards to what they remember as some of the the metziest moments of uh, of of all time.
1: You do it. Shout out there um Ats too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this one comes from Senor Met who talks about I think this was 2002. Sean Estes intentionally in quotation marks Quotation marks throwing at Roger Clemens and missing <laughs> and then I think later on in the game He actually hit a home run off of him too and Gary Cohen had such a good call. It was like take that Roger Clemens uh, So that was pretty funny uh, Sean asked This is like another guy who's like really like a Mets legend. He was on that team for like I think he was only on the Mets for one year and so yeah, he, but he had that was a very memorable moment obviously I always, I think, because we were young then. Like I always view like two thousand, oh one, oh two, as like such like a, a long period of time between. But that was like still on the heels of Roger Clemens throwing the bat at Mike Piazza in the two thousand World Series. Like it wasn't that much later, you know.
1: Yeah, it's true. So
0: it's kind of badass that. Sean Estes ended up hitting that home run off of him because um, Clemens was so despised by the Mets the Mets fan base, especially because he was on the 86 Red Sox, too. I
1: hate that guy. Should be a Hall of Famer, but I hate that guy.
0: Yeah, dude. His neck is like the size of a tree trunk. Um, <laughs> hall, of fame. hall of Fame neck. <laughs> the, the, hall, the, the neck of fame. Hall of Necks. <laughs> um, so this one is from Trill Will. Trill will IV of The fourth David Cone arguing with the first base umpire and letting run score against the Braves. Uh, I'm assuming that was like in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, whenever Cohn was a met. But can you imagine that happening today? Like I'd be, be so Ty am Mag- like Tyler McGill arguing with the first base umpire in like the thick of a pennant race. And like Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albie is coming around to score, and the Braves fans doing the chop and bloopers dancing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and, uh, and and not not this slight Tyler McGill, I'm sure you just named him because you there's you can't see any of the uh, current veterans in the rotation right now ever doing something like that. So it would have to be like a rookie.
0: Yeah, like I mean. I think if Scherzer got heated enough, but like I don't think he he would have he would lack that much self awareness where he would let like runs come around to score. Yeah, I think so, like, he would shoot guy.
1: lasers out of one of his eyes than yes. like give up a run like that.
0: <laughs> uh <laughs> so this one's funny. I don't remember this at all. And maybe it didn't happen, but uh Lou Capetta at Lou underscore Capetta says I was at a game in Philly where Oliver Perez walked Jamie Moyer with the
1: bases loaded. <laughs> no, oh, I don't remember that at <laughs> all. Not Jamie Moyer,
0: <laughs> Jamie Moyer, like 46 years old. <laughs> oh my God.
1: I don't remember say, that. That's
0: very funny though.
1: I say my messiest moment. Uh, and- uh, my Metsiest moment would honestly be just David Wright's last game. The fact that, you know, he had two kind of like week outs and then, you know, I mean, we love him and adore him, but he's out there with, with the, the, the cancer, the clubhouse cancer, Jose Reyes. And yes, the virus. Know, has, yeah. The virus Jose Reyes. And he has his little bloop out and he, You know we love him. He's he's a dork though, and he kind of just like goofily like kind of waves at everyone as he gets his little. And it was you know it's sweet, but it's 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 sweet because because it's a thing for the Mets, and he's and he's our guy, a career leader with only seventeen hundred seventy seven, you know hits. He leads in every single category in his short-lived you know remarkable peak. You know it's but I just find that very Metsy, like that little celebration. As much as I love him. Also, think about the circumstances, non Mets fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, Wright is really the only guy that we've ever seen, and one of the few in Mets history that was a star like that that actually got to see through his whole career and have a send off like that. You know, we haven't seen that otherwise. So, but if you look at like just the other circumstances of that game, like that was the one of the last games of the year. I think that was the second to last game of the season. The Mets are playing the Marlins, who are garbage. And it was 0 0 going into like the 13th inning that game. And Austin Jackson, who's a Mets legend in his own right, hits the game winning hit. Daniel Zamora gets the win on the mound. Like it was just like, it was like painful because it's like Wright was going to come out and make his speech at the end of this. Right. (laughs) And it's like, can you imagine they lost in like the 14th inning one, nothing like how deflated people would have been sitting in their seats after that loss? Like it just it all worked out well, you know, and I'm happy that like a guy like Austin Jackson's the one that's like going to always forever be linked to David Wright in that respect, you know? Yeah. So we'll just do like a couple more of these from the fans from our from, you know, some of our followers and then we'll go on to remembering some dudes. So let's pick a good one here. Obviously, Chris, uh, New Yorker in the Midwest, says Eric Bruntlet's unassisted triple play against the Mets to end the game. We won't talk about that because that moment is still traumatizing to me. Um, let's see. So this one, yeah, this is off the field. Corey Holzer, Corey underscore Holzer. Worst of all time, Vince Coleman throwing fireworks into a crowd of fans. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, that happened. He threw like firecrackers into a crowd of fans.
1: Yeah, great job. Um, Yeah,
0: and then close second was Coleman swinging a golf club in the clubhouse (laughs) and hurting Doc Gooden a few months earlier. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, can you imagine that happening now? It would be all over Twitter. Buck Showalter would have to answer for it.
1: They'd have to execute him.
0: Buck Showalter. Walter.
1: Yeah, they did. No, they did. Yeah, back. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, You know, we'll we'll hang him before the next game.
0: (laughs) So this one is also just Vince Coleman before we pick one more and get out of here. This is from aka Sam E Sam Vince Coleman getting run over by the tarp when he was on the Cardinals. So Coleman just has a good bunch of stuff Um, and then we'll just pick one more Brett Sabre Hagen throwing bleach at reporters. That's from Gabe's dad, aka Carlos, seventy-four. I don't know what the circumstances, were for that, were let's say Brett Saber, Hagen bleach.
1: A lot of attempted murders in this list. <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
0: those ninety them. those nineties Mets teams were not good. Very kooky guys. Very, very kooky. Very, like, very illegal. Uh, so very, this is what uh, happened—a
1: murderer's row, if you will. So in
0: 1993, which was the worst team that money could buy, that was like that that Mets team with like Eddie Murray and Brett Saberhagen and Vince Coleman and Bobby Bonilla. Brett Saberhagen sprayed bleach into a group of reporters. Once he was caught, he apologized and donated one day's pay to charity. Uh, so one why did he do pay. that? <laughs> one day's pay, like, like $3,000. <laughs> it's like nothing. Oh, he said, it, so it was designed as a prank. I don't know what kind of prank that was, but...
1: Yeah, um, you know what? My, my brother, who, who I adore, he tried to prank me one time when I was like seven or, or maybe I was like 10 or something. And it's April Fool's Day, so you're already on high alert. And he goes to hand me this cup. He's like, here, I got you a drink. And he's like smiling. And like, well, obviously, I suspect foul play because it's April Fool's Day and you're smiling while handing me a, di- a, a drink and you're usually a jerk to me. He's like, no, it's fine. Drink it, drink it. And I smell it. I'm like, this is a chemical. What is this, like bleach or something? And then he starts laughing. I'm like, you tried to just, I don't know if you just realized, but you just tried to murder me. Like, you just tried to give me a, a-, a glass of bleach to drink. <laughs> April Fool's, you're dead. Yo, is your brother Brett Saberhagen? Um, oh, wait. Yeah, actually, yeah. My brother's Brett Saberhagen.
0: <laughs> uh, before we close this out, I just want to read this one response. It just says, this is from Ken at hickey7211 he says after reading all of the responses i feel like jumping off a bridge it's <laughs> it's tough being a mets fan well <laughs> it's oh, funny man
1: that's right eh, hey if you can't laugh you know
0: so that was good i'm i i i like the mailbag feature so we'll probably keep that rolling um going forward that's it's always fun so if you guys want to see the rest of the responses to that that's on our twitter you can see what other guys what other fans are reminiscing about some of the Messius moments below. But Alex, it's now time for my favorite segment of the podcast and that is remembering some guys. Right. I really like I really really like the 20 question format. Would you like to continue doing that this this week? Yeah, let's do it. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first?
1: I have not settled on someone yet, so why don't you go first?
0: All right, let me conjure up a name i know eric's gonna cut this part out because he always says i take a long time with this you know driving up that top note <laughs> pure vanilla i got my
1: guy all right let's, let's hear it ask me some questions oh bro. yeah right let's hear it i gotta ask you the questions cut that out cut that out cut that out mm, okay rob <laughs> oh i hear or it's uh, 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 Oh, Robbie. All right, let's uh let's settle <laughs> on a guy. Um is he a position player?
0: He is not. No.
1: Okay. Is he a starting pitcher?
0: He is.
1: Did he play in the 2010s?
0: He did.
1: He did. Okay. Was he a, Did I ask if he was a starter already? You did. And he and you said he was. He is, yep. Okay. Did he come up with the Mets organization?
0: No, he did not.
1: Uh, was he like a, a veteran at the tail end of his career? He was. Did he play in 2016? I think he was
0: retired by then. It was a little earlier in the decade.
1: Retired by then. Okay. Um, did he pitch for the Mets in 2012?
0: Um, I think it was. it was a little later than that. So, so you're close. It wasn't 2012, but it's very close.
1: He pitched for other teams after the Mets. He did,
0: yes. And it might not help you out, but the two teams he played for after the Mets are both also in the National League East.
1: This is. I feel like I'm I'm struggling right now. Uh, National League East, Mets.
0: So I'll give you a hint. He was very very good in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. like the early to mid 2000s. And he's pretty much known for his stint with the Cincinnati Reds. He was on the Reds for like the largest chunk of his career. And that's where he had the most
1: success. Okay. Um, Bronson Arroyo.
0: No, not Arroyo. No, he, ever
1: Arroyo. No, he I didn't really ever pitch for the Mets, but he, I
0: could like, that's feasible. Like I could see that have, have having happened, but he was in the same rotation as Arroyo though.
1: I might have to throw in the towel.
0: So it was Aaron Harang. Aaron
1: Harang.
0: Yeah, he played for the Mets in 2013. And then after he left the Mets, he played for the Braves in 2014 and the Phillies in 2015, um, which I don't really remember. But he, did we discuss he watched, Aaron
1: Harang recently, or was he or or maybe on Twitter or something?
0: Yeah, I think so. I We might have talked about him on the podcast, but yeah, he's the guy that kind of came to mind. I definitely did tweet about him recently. But I he joined not the listening, Mets. but he
1: was a foul-looking person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: God, Alex,
1: jeez, <laughs> It was awful.
0: You're going to say that about a guy who had 20, 20 wins above replacement in baseball and 20. led the National League with 16 wins in
1: 2006? 2006, huh? How about that?
0: Dude, this guy was a workhorse. He started 35 games in 2006, pitched 234 innings.
1: Wow. Yeah, 20... Uh, 2005 through 2007, 20, uh, 211 innings, 234 and
0: 231. Dude was a, a menace. He pitched four games for the Mets in 2013. They, I remember they signed him kind of like in like August, like when they, they were already out of it, and he was just like on the waiver wire or whatever it was.
1: Wow. In 2014 and 2015, right, so Atlanta and Philadelphia, after pitching for the Mets, pitched 204 innings for Atlanta um at the age of 36 and then the next year in his last season which is like shocking for someone to ha- pitch this many innings in their last season but he pitched 172 innings in his last season at the age of thirty seven with the with the Phillies. That's
0: dude, he started every fifth day for the Braves in twenty fourteen. He had thirty three starts and he pitched pretty well. He had a three fifty seven ERA. Like he just low key had a good season. But I think the Braves were not very good that year in twenty fourteen. That was kind of when they were in like that like soft rebuild time.
1: Yeah. So he had five hundred record with them. He had exactly a one hundred ERA plus. So that's like that's league average. And then in 79 yeah. in his last season. So a little bit below, you know, but like you'll take like a 357 filled independent, like pitching, you know, like you'll take that. Yeah. He let up, yeah.
0: up a lot of hits, but he limited the home run ball. He was just like a serviceable number five guy, you know, Yeah, I mean,
1: he was always a guy that gave up. I, if I remember, you know, he had a lengthy career. Yeah, He was always someone who like gave up a lot of hits. He wasn't like a dominant guy. Although he did have 216 strikeouts in 2006, that's a, so. I mean, but literally, yeah, it's just really just like a three-year peak. Like in that those three years where we said 211, 234, 231 innings pitched, those are his 200 strikeout seasons. And then after that, he never tops 150 again, except for that actual season with the Braves where he gets 160. But yeah, I don't remember him being like a, a huge strikeout pitcher. He was just like, I mean, there's a lot of those types that I think of. You know, like those guys who just like. I feel like you don't see this as much anymore because it's such a higher concentration on velocity and, and strikeouts. Cause I don't remember him like pitching particularly hard, although he might have, I mean, flamethrowers back then were like, like Matt Harvey was a flamethrower and he threw like 95, you know, like, um, that's a different, I think Haran was time. more of
0: like a finesse guy, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly though. Like you don't see as many of those guys anymore. Like, Different time. Are you ready? That's a good pick. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. And and mine are traditionally. uh, I should. I feel like I should be picking the more challenging ones for you, but uh, (laughs) I I like my guys. I like my guys.
0: All right. So, are they a position player? Yes. Did they play in the 2010s?
1: Yes. Did they
0: come through the Mets system? Yes. Middle infield. Yes. Wilmer Flores. No. Ruben Tejada.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, I was going through like those top fifty like charts, and I was like, I saw his name. I was like, yeah, I do Ruben Tejada.
0: <laughs> oh man, I love that game. That's so fun.
1: It was a Ruben. lot of fun.
0: Win for Ruben.
1: What a rube. What a Wait, rube. no, but not a rube. That's that's a mean thing to say. Ah, oh, gosh. Yeah, once again one of those like perfect Mets legend, just like a totally average, probably below average guy that we just we just adore, dude. A rube.
0: I looked up the rube. What, what rube means, and the the definition is a country bumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's the definition. That's the Google definition. <laughs> <laughs> what is a rube? A country bumpkin. Rube. Are there more definitions? Let me say. Hold on.
1: Uh, okay, I need to put on record right now, uh, Ruben Tejada. If you were listening, I am sorry. I didn't mean to call you a rube. It just it's a, it's an insult that I've heard before, and I I definitely know that usually associated with like a simple person. Country bumpkin is unsoph- wild.
0: An awkward, unsophisticated person is is a naive or inexperienced person is what rube
1: means. Country. Bumpkin. That's that's like that's goofy.
0: It also says see results about yokel. yokel. So you're you're just calling him like a like a like a redneck kind of.
1: Yeah, no, I I honestly might be one of the worst insults you could use. Yeah, I'm I'm on the record saying I apologize Ruben Tejada. (laughs) That is awful.
0: He didn't mean to call you a country bumpkin. I know he didn't. I know.
1: I know country bumpkins out there and you were not a country bumpkin.
0: (laughs) Uh Alex, it was a lot of fun being back. I'm glad we got to record again. I'm glad I'm feeling better. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad that you had some delicious tacos tonight. I don't know if they're delicious, but I know you had tacos
1: tonight. Very good. Shout out Taco Project. Sponsor us.
0: Shout out Taco Project. All right, guys. It's been so fun. We will see you soon. Until then, stay fresh. Stay legendary.
1: Stay fresh. Stay legendary. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Peace.